Pray with me this morning. Father, we come to you this morning uh, with a text that's heavy, uh, a text that is weighty, uh, a text that uh, tackles a very um, difficult issue in, in so many of our lives, the issue of spiritual depression. So God, may we hope in you as the psalmist hoped in you. May we tackle this head on, looking to your text, looking to your word to find hope, to find life, to find freedom because Christ has overcome. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you ever felt like you're all alone, even if you're standing in a crowded room, have you ever felt abandoned or forgotten by God? Have you ever felt like you just don't have the strength to get out of bed in the morning? Have you ever cried yourself to sleep? Have you ever felt like you'd never be happy again? Are you feeling this way right now? If so, know this, you're not alone. Some of the greatest theologians and preachers to ever walk this earth have struggled with depression. Charles Spurgeon struggled with depression for a majority of his life. Throughout Scripture, we see many wrestle with it. The prophet Elijah fled into the wilderness out of fear for his life because his enemies were after him. It was there actually in the the wilderness that he asked God to actually take his life in First Kings 19.4. He says, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He didn't want to live anymore. As we've walked through the Psalms, David often wrestled with deep anguish and loneliness and despair. His sin would cause him great grief. In Psalm 38, which we, we tackled just a few weeks ago, he says, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. Do we need to go much further than than Job, a man who suffered great loss, and though he had faith, he still struggled deeply with despair? In Job 3.26, he says, "I'm, I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. In Job 10, verse 1, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Job 30, he says, terrors are turned upon me. My honor is pursued as by the wind, and my prosperity is passed away like a cloud. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones, and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. What have we seen today from Psalm 42, verse 3? My my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now, whether or not you've struggled with depression for the vast majority of your life, or if you've struggled with it throughout different seasons of your life, I think all of us can relate in some way or another to at least understanding the feelings of loneliness, of melancholy, of discouragement and despair, because we've all, to some degree or another, have experienced it in our lives. Some of us in here have walked through seasons of severe depression, despairing of life itself. For others, maybe you haven't experienced the severity of spiritual depression, but you for sure have faced discouragement or sadness, hurt, loneliness in your life. That's life just in a broken world. That's life as broken, fallen people. And so the question we ask is, 
Is there a solution? The question we ask is, is there a, is there a cure? Why well, believe so? This psalm, and actually next week's psalm as well, deals with this topic of spiritual depression, talks about dealing with despair. It talks about how to fight through the darkness, to literally fight by God's grace for joy, to literally fight by God's grace for hope. And that those who fight for it, fight for joy, fight for hope, fight through the darkness, will find refuge in the presence of God. As the psalmist says here in Psalm 42, he longs for this hope. He says, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Meaning as God's child, despair and gloom do not have the final say in our lives. That's the hope in which we need to fight and what we fight for. We all need this psalm because all of us will battle discouragement and despair throughout our lives. So whether you're needing this psalm right now or will be needing this in the future, this psalm shows us how do we fight for hope through the darkness. This is the 42nd psalm. This 42nd psalm kicks off book two of the psalms. And so we're introduced to a new author here in Psalm 42. Now, in book one of the Psalms, David authored 37 of the 41 Psalms, the four that we don't have any authors for, Psalms one and two. Those are introductory, and then there's two other Psalms that have no opening ascription. So David, in book one of the Psalms, is the only only author that's identified. But book two, as we're beginning here, is going to introduce to us a variety of authors. Now, a large section of book two is still going to be authored a lot by David, but we're also going to be reading psalms by, by Asaph and by Solomon. And here we are in Psalm 42, a song that is written by the sons of Korah. In fact, actually, for the next several weeks, the psalms we'll be walking through will be written by these sons of Korah. So who are they? Quick background. Uh, the Korahites were, they were Levites. Uh, obviously, they were descendants, though, of Korah, sons of Korah, who, interestingly enough, is mentioned in Scripture, but not in a favorable way. In Numbers 16, Korah rose up against Moses, and he actually gathered about 250 other leaders to rise up against Moses to, to seek to, overth- to overthrow him, which, of course, did not go well for Korah, brought upon Korah uh, God's swift judgment. Now, the sons and the, the descendants of Korah were, were spared, however, and It was David who then years later as king gave these sons, these descendants, this responsibility of actually leading the music in the temple in Jerusalem. And so for a lack of a better word, the sons of Korah, these men, they were were worship leaders. They were writing and they were producing songs of worship, these psalms to be sung and prayed over as as, as the Jewish people gathered together. They were used to be uh, used in the temple for for God's people to sing about who he is. These were the sons of Korah. And we find here in Psalm 42 a, a particular psalmist, a son of Korah, far away from the temple in Jerusalem. So he's far away from Jerusalem, which is where his community was. It's where his job was. It's where he was most useful. He's far away from the temple. It's where he met with God in an intimate way through through worship in the temple. He's far away being taunted and oppressed by his enemies. Perhaps he is being drug away, uh, not on his own will. Maybe he is in captivity and being drug away from his own home. But regardless of where he is and why he is where he is, he's spiritually depressed in this moment. His soul is downcast. He's feeling forgotten by God. Yet he's yearning for God's presence. He's longing for it. 
And throughout this psalm, he's, he's fighting through the darkness and he's speaking truth to his weary heart and his weary soul. And this psalm here, Psalm 42, is going to answer for us two questions this morning. Question number one that's going to seek to answer is, what are the causes for spiritual depression? What I mean by that is spiritual dryness, weariness, discouragement, loss of joy, intimacy with God. Feelings of forgottenness or abandonment, a downcast soul. That's what I mean by spiritual depression. What are the causes of spiritual depression? That's question number one. Question number two then is going to be, well, what's the cure? What's the cure? Is there a cure? So we're going to look at the causes first. Now I see throughout this psalm five different causes that this psalm mentions. There's undoubtedly more, but this is where we're going to begin. I'll mention briefly at the end uh, some other causes for spiritual depression, but we want to tackle Psalm 42. What does it list? What's this psalmist seeing and feeling in his heart and his soul that's causing his, his heart and soul to be downcast? Well, cause number one is absence from God's presence in God's people. Now I want to be careful here because we know that God is omnipresent Right? He's everywhere. So even a psalmist, though, understood that truth, that God is at all places, at all times. Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. So the psalmist understood this, this, this truth about God. Even this psalmist here, the son of Korah in Psalm 42, understood that truth because he was speaking and praying to God in the night. But he was cut off from the temple in Jerusalem. He was cut off from his community. He was cut off from this temple where God's glory resided, where God's people drew together to to worship him and be in his presence. We get a picture even in this psalm of how far away he actually was from Jerusalem, from the temple. In verse 6, he says, "I, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from from Mount Mizar. The land of Jordan was, was to the northeast, roughly about 110 miles away from Jerusalem. So he's, he's far from home, far from his family, far from his community. Therefore, he is, he is feeling far from God. He's feeling disconnected. It's why he's longing for God's presence in those first two verses. He says, as, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He's wanting to get back into the presence of God. He's recognizing here in these opening verses that there's only one thing. There's only one thing in this life that will satisfy and refresh his soul, and that's the living God. That's it. See, when we're thirsty and when we're dehydrated, the only thing which will refresh us is is water. There's nothing else that will refresh us quite like a, a cold glass of water. Water is life for our parched mouths, and only the living God is life for our weary souls. And so there's this disconnect between ourselves and the living God when we we instead begin to chase after the things of this world rather than the life-giving God, when we begin to forsake community and when we begin to forsake fellowship with one another, our souls begin to dry out. But they're drying out because we're not living as we're created to live and in communion and fellowship with our creator, in communion and fellowship with God's people, one another, in the presence of God as we sing truths to one another and to God. This is good for our souls, good for our hearts. It breathes life into our weary bones. And when that's taken away, spiritual depression can begin to, to set in. 
That's cause number one. Cause number two is oppression and persecution from a hostile world. You see, in verse 3, he says, my, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The psalmist here is being taunted by his enemies. This, it must have wounded him deeply because his, he mentions what they're taunting him with twice here. They, they're saying to me, where is your God? Meaning, he's abandoned you. He's left you. He's not coming to your rescue. See, this God that you say you worship, that loves you, he doesn't care about you and your problems. He's being taunted with this, this question. Make no mistake, we too live in a hostile world. I don't think I have to convince anyone of that. And so compound living in a hostile world with then feeling a disconnection from God and God's people. And you can see how this, this psalmist is, is, is feeling spiritually depressed. That's cause number two. Cause number three is memories of happier days. See, look at verse four. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, keep in mind here the context because this can work maybe on two different levels. On one level, it's actually good for us to remember the past and to remember the goodness of God. And that can be healing for our souls as we're reminding ourselves of his faithfulness. But on another level, like what this psalmist here, I believe, is struggling with is it's reminding him of happier times that just aren't there anymore. He's in a hostile environment. He's on a mountain range 100 miles or so away from Jerusalem. He's most likely maybe looking back in that direction, looking back at home, looking at back where he was, was in communion with God and with God's people, and he's remembering a joy that he once had, a joy that he once had in the presence of God and with God's people as they would celebrate and worship him together. And he's like, that's gone now. It's gone now. There's no more singing with God's people. Any song now sung is a solo. No more festivals and glad parties celebrating good food and good friends and a good God. And so he's, he's sitting there on that mountain range longing for days gone by and feeling this achiness in his heart for, for the joy that that once brought about. You see, in times of sorrow and distress, oftentimes remembering good and happy days of the past can, can actually sometimes maybe amplify the pain of the present. Because you're not experiencing that joy any longer and, and you just wish it would return. You know, we've been so blessed here, my, my family and I, with, with good friends here and deep relationships and amazing memories of sharing life together. And we, we've gone through with good friends here highs and lows together and for that we're so grateful. But sometimes when you do think of days gone by and the joy that, that came with it, when you begin to look through the the, the, the pictures, and you begin to think and reminisce of the past, there's sometimes a mixture that comes with that, isn't there? A mixture of, of, of joy, but, but also sometimes a mixture thrown in of, of sorrow because those days have come and gone. Now, we, we continue to make new memories, and we're, again, so grateful, but sometimes when you just reflect on the past, there's that mixture of gratitude and sadness because it's, it's gone. When you look at pictures of your kids from when they were little, 
right? There's a bit of achiness that we feel in our hearts when you see how they've grown up over the years and you're like, man, I'm never going to be able to hold them like that again. They're going to be those babies anymore. See, the psalmist is, is sitting on a mountaintop miles away from home, looking back and remembering what he once had that he doesn't have anymore. When there's that disconnect from God's people, spiritual depression can set in because, again, we're meant to live in community, even with one another, as we treasure Jesus above all things. Cause number four. Cause number four. Overwhelming sorrow. Overwhelming sorrow. The psalmist writes in verse seven of the, of the feeling of being swept over with trial after trial, just like a crashing wave breaks over a person time and time again. We see that in verse seven. He says, deep is calling to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. You know, perhaps the psalmist as he was writing this was sitting near a waterfall, hearing its roaring sound. Do you hear the sound of waterfall in your, in your mind right now? In pleasant days, it's a beautiful thing to behold. As we gaze upon just the, the beauty and power of God's creation. You know, when, when my family, when we go on vacations, we, we love to go to the beach and we love to hear the sound of the ocean. And we just sit there and it's just one of the most relaxing things for us. Is we just hear the waves kind of just come in to the shore in this kind of nice rhythm. That's sometimes for me just very soothing and very Relaxing, but for the psalmist here, those sounds were taunting him because these sounds were reminding him of the suffering that he was facing. The sound of the waterfall was reminding him of the, of the trials that he was walking through that were just pouring down on top of him. The sound of crashing waves was, was reminding him that trial after trial after trial just kept crashing into him. When we walk through suffering, when you walk through suffering, through darkness, no matter how big or how small it may be, it's always with you, isn't it? It's always with you. You can't shake it. It's there. When you, when you wake up in the morning, it's often the first thing, first place your mind goes. When you go to sleep at night, it's there with you. Pain and overwhelming sorrow are absolutely large contributors to spiritual depression, especially when you're crying out to God for relief and feel as though you're not hearing any answer in return, which can lead lastly to cause number five, which is the feeling of abandonment. See, this is where the psalmist was in verse nine. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. It's not unusual for a, a depressed person, a hurting person, a suffering person to feel forgotten, to feel abandoned, to feel that you're, you're all alone, that everyone else is living their best life except for you. Jesus, even as he was hanging on the cross, enduring unbearable suffering, nails driven through his hands and through his feet, his disciples running from him. Peter, one of his closest disciples, denying that he even knew him. As Jesus hung on that cross, facing the taunts and the jeers from those around him, people mocking him, cried out from that cross, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The overwhelming trials of life can absolutely make you feel as though you've been forgotten, abandoned, which can lead to spiritual depression. Those are five causes we see from Psalm 42. But there's other causes that the psalm doesn't address specifically. Maybe it's unconfessed or unrepentant sin. 
Maybe it's temperament. Some people are just more inclined to depression than others. Maybe it's mental or physical exhaustion, not, not resting, not, not, not taking a break to be just present in and with God. Maybe it's attacks from the enemy, attacks from Satan, getting us to take our eyes off of the goodness of him. Maybe it's unbelief. We're not holding fast to the truth of God, reminding ourselves of the hope of the gospel. Maybe for others, sometimes there just isn't a known reason that you can't pinpoint. That, that causes frustration because there's no, there's no cause, there's no reason. You're looking at it like, why, is, why do I feel this way? I can't find a reason for why I feel this way. It's just sometimes maybe life in a broken world with a broken body in need of full restoration. You know, Spurgeon actually once addressed that very thing because he himself was a man who struggled with depression. He actually once said in a sermon, he says, you may be surrounded with all the comforts of life and yet be in wretchedness more gloomy than death if the spirits are depressed. You may have no outward cause whatever for sorrow and yet if the mind is dejected, the brightest sunshine will not relieve your gloom. There are times when all our evidence gets clouded and all our joys are fled. Though we may still cling to the cross, yet it is with a desperate grasp. These are causes for spiritual depression, but let's turn our attention to the cure. Is there a cure that the psalmist points us to? And praise God, there is. But at the same time, recognize this, it is not easy. And it's not just a quick fix. It's a, it's a cure that's different than what the world offers. In fact, the world itself really doesn't offer many solutions to this problem. I would actually argue that, that the world, the best they can do is just offer us distractions. In Western culture, the material world is often all that we truly have, and, and so suffering and depression is to be avoided at all costs. Instead of dealing with it head-on, our culture seeks to distract us with excessive entertainment, self-help therapy sessions, frequent vacations, whatever we can add to the list to distract us. For those who remember years ago the TV show Family Ties from the 1980s, one of the characters on that show, Mallory, once said, when I get depressed, I just go shopping. I mean, to some degree, that statement summarizes the best our culture has of trying to, to, to treat and cure deep pain. Just distract yourself with something for a little while. And when that fades, distract yourself with something else. But, but notice here in this psalm how we handle a downcast soul. It's not through distractions. It's actually through dealing with it head on. Num number one is we, we wrestle through the pain. Wrestle through the pain. This is the fight. Rather than avoiding it, rather than distracting yourself from it, I believe what we are called to do is approach it head on with authenticity, with genuineness, and I would say raw emotion. Is that not what you see through the entirety of, of this psalm? Raw emotion, attacking the darkness head on. My soul pants and thirsts for you. My tears have been my food day and night. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Your breakers, your waves, they've gone over me. Why have you forgotten me? That's raw emotion. I'm wounded by the constant taunts of my enemies. I'm in turmoil. He doesn't give in to depression or self-pity, but fights through it. And he's telling himself that there is no reason for being cast down, which is as strong as the reason to fight for hope in his God. Let me say that a different way. Because what I'm saying with that statement is what this psalmist was looking at was two different cases that were before him. 
Two cases. One case was making a strong argument to give in. To give in and, and succumb to depression and despair. And it's a strong case. But the second case that's before him is a case for hope in God as his deliverer and as his salvation. And this psalmist, as he wrestles through it, as he fights through it, comes away realizing on the end that the argument to fight for hope is stronger than the one to give in. But he's got to fight. He's got to wrestle through the darkness. He's got to speak to himself and he's got to remind himself of truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, which is a a study through Psalm 42, argues this point well. Lloyd-Jones says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? What he means is, don't allow your emotions to control your mind, but your mind, which should be controlled and led by the Spirit, resting and holding firm to truth, must speak to your emotions. Why is that? Well, because Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart's deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? It's desperately sick. It's because, as the Proverbs say, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. Instead, what we must do is speak to our hearts. Speak to our emotions. Don't listen to them, but speak to them with truth. What will we know to be true from God's word? Lloyd-Jones continues in Spiritual Depression, he says this, that you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, abrade yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and and say to yourself, hope in God. That's the fight that we see in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation. Verses 5 and 11. Verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Verse 9, God, you are my rock. That's a wrestling match. This is the fight. It's not easy. It's why we need one another. It's why we need the church. It's why we must be honest with one another in our struggles so that we, by God's grace, and in his love and can care for one another as we speak these truths of God's words into one another's hearts. It's why it matters that we gather together for worship. It's why we sing these truths in unity with one voice, with conviction, reminding ourselves and one another of the steadfast love of God. So when our emotions tempt us to think that he has abandoned us, it's why we pray together for God's Spirit to impress these things on our minds and our hearts. It's why we study God's Word so we can be armed for when temptation comes. We fight through the darkness and we fight through it together. But lastly, we also see that we need to challenge yourself to act upon what must be done. Challenge yourself to act upon what must be done. This flows from what we just just talked about. Not only must must we preach truth to our souls and hearts, but we need to then challenge ourselves to then act upon these truths. And this is here where you see the battle between the flesh and the spirit come head to head. This is, this is where we see the, the battle. This is where we see the war because the flesh doesn't want to act. At least it doesn't want to act upon what's true. When, when led by our emotions and not by the truth of God's word, 
Our, our actions will continue to spiral deeper and deeper into the darkness. But, but the challenge here is to act upon what the spiritual self knows should be done. And that is, as the psalmist says, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Act upon what you know to be true. To say to, to these temptations, to say to our hearts and our souls, our downcast, to say, I, I won't believe the lie that God has abandoned me or forgotten me. I will not believe the lie that he is not good. I will not believe the lie that, that no one cares, that I'm all alone. We may not have all the answers. We seldom do. But when we cannot see far in front of us, we rest in what we do know. What do we know? I know God's good. I know he's good. God's love is steadfast. It's enduring. I know God is faithful. God's sovereign. He's for us, not against us. God does understand our pain. God does care for us. I know those things to be true, even though my heart doesn't want to believe them. I know them to be true. So how do we know all of that to be true? How do we know that's true? Well, we look no further than the person of Jesus. You see, the prophet Isaiah, speaking of Jesus, said that he was a man despised and rejected by men, that he was a man of sorrows, that he was acquainted with grief. You see, Jesus entered into our world. He understood sorrow. He understood pain. He understood suffering. He understood rejection. He understood the feelings of abandonment. And yet, Jesus, the perfect, sinless man, fought through that darkness, and he hoped in his God. Yes, he cried out, as I said a a little bit ago from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Psalm 22 continues. See, Psalm 22 verse 24 says, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Verse 27 says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. You see, though Jesus faced sorrow, though Jesus was tempted to believe that God was not good, that his father was not faithful, that his father had abandoned him, he fought through the darkness and he put his hope in God. He was the perfect example of a life fully submitted to God. And it's because of this, because of what Jesus endured on the cross, the suffering and rejection that he he faced for us, that's why the hope which this psalmist points to is secure. Because we rest in the hope that's hope in Christ. See, this side of the cross, we know that the grounds for our hope in Christ is him. The grounds for our hope is him crucified, him crucified for our sins, him rising from the grave triumphant over death. You see, our hope that we're challenged to act upon is secure because Christ came to bring this ever-living God and the fullness of joy to a people in need. John 15, 11, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In John 4, 13 through 14, as he speaks to this woman at the well, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
You see, our hope is secure because Christ came to bring this ever-living God to us. But our hope is also secure because Christ is our salvation. Just as the psalmist says, my God, my salvation, we, we find hope in that because Christ is our salvation. Acts 4, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our hope is secure because Christ is our rock. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's where our hope is. Our hope's secure because of Christ. Fighting through the darkness is not easy. It's not easy. I do not want to stand up here and pretend if you just do this, it'd be fixed. It's not easy. It's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a fight. If you're there right now, please know we're with you. You're not alone. Let us serve you and walk with you through this. But please be encouraged from God's word today. There is hope. And that hope is Christ. This psalmist still wrestled with a downcast soul. Even as he wrote this, he wrestled with it. Even as he wrote those final words, it was a struggle for him. But he had faith in his God and that his God would deliver him. He knew and was resting in truth. He knew God had not forgotten him, that he would once again be in the presence of his one true delight. This is the hope for those who are God's children. We find relief and hope from depression and a glorious and risen Savior who has overcome and one that this psalm anticipated. So is there a cure? Yes, but it's not in us. It's not in us, it's in Christ. So in the darkness, call on your soul to rest in the living rock, our ever-present delight, our steadfast love, our salvation, and eternal hope. Would you pray with me?